0: Welcome to Change Nation, a program brought to you by First30Days.com. On this episode of Change Nation, Ariane talks happiness with expert and author Dacher Keltner.
1: Here's Ariane. Hi, and welcome to Change Nation. Have you ever wondered what it would actually take to not only be happier, but actually stay happier for more than maybe a day or two? Well, my guest on the show today is Dacher Keltner. We are going to talk about his new book, Born to be Good, The Science of a Meaningful Life. He's a professor of psychology at Berkeley, and he's researched for many years positive emotions, facial expressions, and pretty much all aspects of being happier. It's a pleasure to have you on the show.
0: It's great to be here.
1: So, Dacher, what are the biggest myths to having a happy life that people that we're all sort of buying into, that we think are gonna make us happy, but really we're not.
0: Right. Well, the, the biggest myth is the myth of materialism. And uh, every study that is done on human happiness for people in the middle classes and above says that material gain and shifts in economic wealth don't bring you happiness. And regrettably, if you look at the same kinds of studies, uh, our culture has become increasingly materialistic. And this is probably, the most materialistic moment in human history, although I think it's changing.
1: And we become more materialistic and, I guess, less happy. Have you looked at where this country is in terms of the happiness factor?
0: Yeah, there are several uh, ways of looking at that, and they reach the same conclusion that you're implying, which is that with this rise in materialism of the past 25 years, we have seen very pronounced drops in trust of our fellow human beings and citizens. Uh, and we've seen greater drops in the happiness of our children and greater difficulties in communities and marriages.
1: You, the subtitle of the book is The Science of a Meaningful Life, not a Happier Life. Right. Are those two things connected? Does one come before the other?
0: Yeah, that's a terrific question. Um, and you, you put your finger on what I was interested in with that word meaningful rather than happy. Um, you know, Darren McMahon has written a brilliant book on happiness, the history of happiness, and charts how cultures struggle and 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 uh, try to and negotiate what the meaning of happiness is. And what I was trying to get the reader to think about is is a different kind of happiness, and one that's rooted in these emotions that we study in our lab, emotions like awe and gratitude and compassion and laughter. Um, that I think are the path to the meaningful life.
1: What have you found that people are really craving? Like, what is it truly that we are looking for and longing for that actually might be quite unconscious for us?
0: I think the, it is clear our culture is craving connection. Um, we know from scientific studies that when you connect and touch or are touched by somebody, Uh, oxytocin is released, reward centers of the brain light up. It is the path to good health. And at the same time, we're spending more time alone. We're spending more time with strangers. Uh, We are spending more time in mediated communications. Uh, We are craving connection.
1: The the title, Born to be Good, do you find that things happen to us that then make us bad people? Like, what is it that turns us into bad people if we're born to be good? Is it our parents? Is it the environment? Is it ex-lovers? What is it? (laughs) (laughs) What do we need to stay away from?
0: Well, (laughs) you know, the title Born to be Good was an attempt to say, look, uh, we've long thought that human nature had a dark side that was built into us. And that's true. We are born, we have neurological systems that enable aggression and depression and the like but at the same time what this new science is saying is we have all these inborn capacities to connect and to cooperate and so the age-old question that you ask is nature nurture how do we turn the the good stuff on or off Um, and what we know in terms of um, if we're born to be good what leads us in the other direction is things like uh, destructive families uh, a very important area of new science is in under-resourced neighborhoods and inequality. And we are finding in scientific studies that inequality makes for less developed brains, uh, more troubled kids. So I would put my finger on that as an interesting possibility.
1: I mean, you are a parent to a couple of children? Two daughters. Two daughters. Okay. Um, Humbling. <laughs> what What do you make sure that you are teaching them as a parent?
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things that really struck me about doing the science of these emotions like compassion and gratitude and respect and laughter and play is that evolution has crafted an amazing toolkit, if you will, that makes kids healthy and makes them connect to other kids and fold into healthy communities. And I, I feel the parents' job is to create the contexts and conversations that give rise to those things. So we make sure, and this is spreading like wildfire, to have discussions about gratitude, to get our children to think about harm and suffering in a way that activates uh, compassion. Another one that we often under appreciate in our culture today is play and silliness and laughter. We have lost sight of that. And so we make opportunities to res- wrestle or to play with words or to goof around. So uh, it's just the, the intuitive stuff.
1: One of the uh, ratios that I saw <laughs> while I was um, looking at the book is something you call the gen ratio. Yeah. Did you, is that something you made up? Where I does did. the word gen come from? <laughs> do, do I have a gen uh, ratio? Hopefully a good one. Hopefully a good one.
0: <laughs> um, so, Ariane, I was, I was trying to figure out what is the core principle of emotions that I study, like gratitude, or modesty, or laughter, or compassion, or reverence. And the English language doesn't have a rich vocabulary to capture those states. And so I was uh, fortunate to be raised by a dad who had me read Eastern philosophy, and I consulted Confucius, and he had this great idea of Jen. And it very simply is kindness, respect, and a person of Jen brings out the goodness in others. So to your question, um, As a scientist, I'm interested in how do we think about quick, powerful lenses or measures to capture where we are in our human development. And I thought of the gen ratio. And in the numerator, uh, on top of the ratio, is the actions you are engaging in that bring out the good in others. And then in the denominator is the actions you engage in that bring out the bad in others. And I think that's a very intuitive way to say. How am I creating healthy relationships around me?
1: Can you give me quick examples as to actions that bring out the good, actions that bring out the bad?
0: Well, one of the exciting things about doing this research and you know, what we do is we, we, we closely study people's behaviors in, you know, on the playground and with their parents and with their friends and with romantic partners at all ages is that we have discovered, and what Born to be Good really charts, is really a vocabulary a lot of a lot of these high-gen behaviors, the pat on the back, the simple smile that we now know activates reward regions of the brain, the nice tone of voice, sharing laughter. These are all very common, highly evolved, ancient tools to bring out the good in others, um, and the, the object is to cultivate those.
1: And on the on the denominator, what do you think are things that consciously or unconsciously actually bring out bad in people?
0: Oh, we we know uh, we know all sorts of um, pathways to the bad, and we know, for example, one of the most dangerous things is to um, to to label people uh, as marginalized groups or as groups that are essentially different from your own. That's why. It was so interesting in Barack Obama's inauguration speech how he extended an open hand to the Muslim world, and that was relabeling that relationship. Um, we know that there are basic factors that that activate the the low gen parts of your nervous system. Uh, if you want, if you want the biggest, it's family violence.
1: What about something like um, comparison? I think you yeah, know in the science of. Happiness. Interesting. The minute I compare myself to someone else, um, I mean, what happens to my general state of emotion? And how do, how do we stop this comparison culture that I feel we're all on?
0: Yeah, wow, what a fascinating question, Ariane. Um, you know, we know from scientific studies that your intuition is well informed, and that when you get people to compare themselves to other people, um, they become anxious, they become agitated and they suffer deficits in happiness. So you're absolutely right. Uh, and we live in a highly competitive culture that and competition is rooted in rank and comparison. Um, but I do think that one of the strengths of uh, Western thought is the idea of individuality. And out of individuality emerges the notion that there can be many types and many forms of success or goodness.
1: Dacher, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Change Nation. I'm talking with Dacher Keltner about his new book, Born to be Good. Dacher, do you think that being happier is about developing more characteristics and undeveloping others?
0: Well, I think one way that you can think about these pathways to happiness and that we're all on in our culture and and around the world uh, for millennia Um, one way as you say is to calm down the sources of unease and alienation that lead to despair and uh, and unhappiness and so we know meditation exercise distracting yourself from a problem are good pathways to calming those branches of your nervous system down and stress, and it makes you happier. Alongside that uh, are the pathways to happiness, and that's really what Born to good, Be Good focuses on, which is we can cultivate things like a more kind stance toward other people. We can cultivate laughter. We can build in gratitude as a way to build happiness.
1: You brought up my next question right there. Where is the line between being kind, between between being too kind yeah. and being taken advantage of? Like I know a few people quite well, even in my family, yeah. who are really very kind people and they end up being right. unhappy because they feel used. Yep. Like wh- where is the balance between too grateful or too kind or too sweet?
0: Yeah, terrific question. Um, you know, I, I make a strong case that we need to, and it's interesting, Karen Armstrong, the religious scholar, in surveying the world's religions and ways of knowing, from Buddhism to Hinduism to Christianity, says the, the uniting concept is kindness, or compassion. And I feel that and that is a, 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 a big shift in our evolution, as did Darwin. Now your question is, how can, can we be too kind? Can we be too compassionate? And it's a great ethical question. You know, there are kids who suffer from a, a disorder called Williams syndrome. And these are fascinating kids who that we're just starting to study them scientifically who are too kind and are too connected and get into trouble and they get exploited and they get abused. And so in the questioning about too much kindness, I think we have to add a concept that the Dalai Lama has talked a lot about, which is tough compassion. And you have to, to the best of your abilities, when you're extending compassion, think about the broad course of a person's life, and and that tells you when kindness becomes indulgence, uh, and that's one way to think about it.
1: Dakar, you've done a lot of work about facial expressions, and I'm conscious here going, oh my God, what are you picking up about my face and You're my doing smile? Well. I'm doing well. <laughs> Good ratios. Um, wh- what can you tell by looking at someone? What can you tell by looking at their face, whether they're smiling, not smiling? Yeah. What can, what can all of us well, start looking for?
0: Well, we can tell an enormous amount from half-second facial muscle movements and half-second vocalizations and postural movements. And it really, uh, this science uh, really owes a debt of gratitude to Charles Darwin. And his idea was that these expressions that we see, an open-handed gesture, a pat on the back, a smile, a laugh, are ancient mammalian signals that are old and powerful. So to give you an example of how much we can tell, um, our research uh, has found that with little half-second studies of a person's smile, um, we know if they're happy, and a happy smile involves the muscle movement of the orbicularis oculi, which gives you crow's feet. If you add a little lip pucker, we know the person is feeling sexual desire. If they tilt their head, it signals romantic love. And then if they show that, Pressed, smile, and turn their head down and expose their neck. They're feeling more embarrassed and shy. That's pretty remarkable. These little, Mm -hmm. very subtle shifts in posture and muscle movements, can inform all those different emotions.
1: I guess that my next question is: Babies, you know, coming back to sort of born to be good. There are some babies that smile and some babies that don't, and there's some babies that are, are. perceived as being unhappy absolutely babies and they quickly get labeled that way as well i think by friends pa- parents yeah is that is that emotional is that where's where's that coming from
0: yeah what a what a terrific question so you know in the studies of what we call temperament or your emotional style as a young child starting from the first months of life you can start to chart several trajectories and one child Uh, and we're doing research on this, is uh, very kind and cooperative, has strong networks, handles stress well, and they tend to have very strong what we call vagus nerves, which is a part of the nervous system that keeps you calm and connected, um, which we can talk about. Another child is the child you're referring to in your example, and Jerome Kagan at Harvard has done this work looking at really tense, anxious, shy kids from the first months of life. They have very Hyperactive stress systems from the brain to cortisol to heart rate, um, and they are trickier socially. But the really important beacon of optimism is that a lot of there's a lot of change in the nervous system in the first ten years of life and probably longer. And if shyness is problematic, there are ways in which you can cultivate. Uh, other approaches.
1: I guess this is a philosophical question. Do you believe that anyone can be happier? Like I'm thinking about some people where it's just, they're just not happy.
0: Yeah. Well, there are, I do. I think for probably 95% of the human population, if you engage in the hard work of happiness and cultivate these tools and disciplines of kindness and gratitude and respect toward others um and and also the ways that we protect ourselves of exercise and the like you're on the path to happiness and the data suggests that about half of our happiness level is genetic and the other half is what we choose to do in life and it's hard work um there there are a subset of people uh that due to the wiring of their nervous systems uh probably don't have that opportunity, regrettably, And but that's the human spectrum.
1: Can you tell, can you predict if someone the age of 16, 18, 20, 22 is going to have a happier life? So they're not yet married, they don't have the job, they don't have the money, they don't have any health issues probably going on. Is there a way of predicting it?
0: There is, and, and uh, it, it's a terrific question, uh, and it was answered by a question that we did, a study that we did, um, that uh, provoked a lot of curiosity. And uh, what we did is we studied people's yearbook photos from college. Uh, this is w- women who are graduating from Mills College in Oakland. And we coded how warm and kind their smile was, which is just two muscle movements, the key muscle being that orbicular oculi around the eyes. And women with warmer, kinder smiles, 30 years later, were less stressed out on a daily basis stronger in their relationships, happier in their lives, and happier in their marriages. So we believe that there is a whole set of markers or indexes of the state of your nervous system that make you happier that we can identify and it tells us where life goes.
1: Can you be happier if you are working for an unhappy person? If you're married to an unhappy person? How do you do your own sort of journey within within that sort of environment?
0: Yeah. Well, the, the broader generalization that we know is that our happiness comes in relationships, and it comes from between, and it comes, you know, back to that yearbook photo uh, study, um, just as important to the happiness of your life is what your partner's yearbook photo looks like, how happy they are. And we know from several different studies that, Um, very kind, warm people cultivate strong relationships and it is like a a vitamin for the happiness in their lives. Um, And then that raises this complicated question of what if you're married to somebody who is unhappy? Uh, What if you have a child who suffers from a complex disorder, right? Uh, And we know that there are costs in terms of your happiness to both of those circumstances. But my hunch is, is that in the long run, you know, the, the direct the course of happiness in life changes as you get older. Um, and it and as you move into the sixties and seventies it, it becomes more a matter of the community you built and your generativity, what you've given. And I think that's important to keep in mind when we are entwined in those complex relationships.
1: Do happy people hang out with each other? They do. Because I can also imagine that a happy person is determined to go fix an unhappy person.
0: Ah, that's interesting. Well, we um, we know that one of the criteria that drives friendships and networks and marriages and where you work is your emotional temperament, which we've talked about today. And happier people gravitate to certain kinds of clubs and certain kinds of relationships. Uh, so we know that to be true. Now, um, the person, it's an interesting person who, and I think it's a different strand of happiness, is the compassionate person who's inclined to help. That's a really a different mission in life, uh, hopefully. C- certainly
1: what's, what happened with my parents. It's just where the, the root of the question comes from. It's just this... You know, I think some women are attracted to men because yeah. they feel that they can change them and love them and fix them and help them get happier and it doesn't I'm, often work that way. No,
0: that's a tricky bind. Yes. <laughs>
1: what do you find is the emotion that is most missing in people today? Out of, I know, you know, the book is wonderful. It has certain chapters on mm-hmm. different emotions. Do you find there's one that is most missing, for example, in this country? Yeah.
0: Wow. That is that's a terrific question. Well, um, I, I I would I you know it's hard. I love all the emotions, so it's very hard for me to answer that question. Mm-hmm. So I would say the first is compassion, and if you look around, we have, there are a lot of data that suggests that you know we have greater levels of inequality than at any time in human history, uh, and uh, the healthcare situation that says there's a compassion gap in our culture. Um, I wanna make a pitch for one that we often underappreciate, which is humor and mirth. Um, And there are a lot of people who feel that we've lost the art of being foolish and being silly and being playful. Uh, We're an increasingly serious society uh, for a lot of good reasons, but we lose the wisdom of laughter. So I'd Mm -hmm. I'd make a pitch for that one too.
1: (laughs) We'll take it. Do you consider yourself a scientist? Would you label yourself that way?
0: <laughs> I hope so. You would. I hope you consider me a scientist. So, no,
1: I mean... I'm yeah, no, I'm,
0: you know, I spend, you know, for your listeners' uh, appreciation of the question, um, you know, part of the book comes out of philosophy, and I've always loved that, but I am a, you know, for 20 years, 25 years, have been locked in laboratories studying facial expressions in parts of the nervous system, so very much so.
1: So the question that follows from that is where does the things that you can't measure in a lab fit in? So faith and spirituality and people's belief in the other side and angels and everything else where there's more of a longing towards that now coming up. Yeah. And my sense of you just being around you is I think you probably have that component within you as well. Right. So the parts that you can't measure what do you do with them?
0: Well, there you know you cannot measure the noumenal part of the world, the spiritual um, and uh, the, you know, there will never be, uh, you know, there are studies of um, by neuroscientists where they're looking at nuns as they have a transcendent experience where they feel in the presence of Jesus uh, and they pinpoint the part of the brain that lights up, but that is not God in the brain. That is a person's experience. But what we can study and we do in our lab and I'm very excited about this, is our experience of the sacred uh, or reverence that comes in spiritual contemplation, nature, an aesthetic experience. Uh, and you are absolutely right that, that uh, people are very hungry for this. They are creating new vocabularies around it. And, and I believe that it is uh, rooted in the nervous system
1: lovely. Dakar, we're going to have to end right there, but it's lovely to have you on the show. I could ask you another 50 questions, (laughs) but real real great information. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Ariane.
1: So for more information on his wonderful work and research, um, please visit his website at dakarkeltner.com. I'll spell that for you. It's D-A-C-H-E-R-K-E-L-T-N-E-R.com. And his book is Born to Be Good, The Science of a Meaningful Life. For more information, more interviews, more experts, please visit us on the web at first30days.com. Thanks for listening.